This season, we'll be further exploring each topic, hanging out with experts and enthusiasts of all kinds for more strange stories, social commentary, and the myths that make America tick. I'm your host, Chelsea Weber-Smith. Chris Gethard is a stand-up comedian, podcaster, actor, filmmaker, and author of Weird New York, as well as an editor of Weird New Jersey and Weird U.S., all of which cover local ghost stories, urban legends, and roadside attractions. You may know Chris from his podcast, Beautiful Stories from Anonymous People, where he talks to strangers who call in and he can't get off the phone until they hang up. Or you may recognize him from his roles on Parks and Rec, The Office, and as Alana's poor boss on Broad City. For the next two episodes, we'll be discussing a wide range of topics, from Chris's stories of Action Park, the most dangerous water park in the history of America, the strangest roadside attractions still clinging to life, the unnerving Wild West that was the 1980s and 90s childhood experience, as well as urban legends and what they tell us about cultural clashes. Here's part one, and make sure you come back next week for part two of this true joy of a conversation about all the topics that we hold most dear. I'm so excited to talk to the very funny and very sweet Chris Gethard. Uh, thank you so much for talking to me today, Chris. Oh, it's a, it's a real joy. And if I may, I told you this off air, but can I just say hello to Kaylin, who told me about your podcast, like within a week of, of us coordinating me being on it. So Kaylin's probably losing their mind right now. Hello, <laughs> Kaylin. Hi, Kaylin. Thank you. And thank you. Thank you for uh, for spreading, <laughs> spreading the good word. I don't know. But uh, so I just Chris, I just watched your brand new stand up special, um, Half My Life, and it just came out and it was so wonderful. And it really made me feel so excited to, you know, be in a room with other human beings experiencing something simultaneously, whatever that is. You know, y- your show is about going on the road and touring like the small punk venues, um, maybe not literally punk, but, you know, DIY, um, not these giant stadium shows. And and that is something that you obviously care a lot about. And um, it's something we're going to need a lot of as we move forward trying to save a lot of the- these places. So I think that it was great timing and a beautiful, beautiful show. Uh, thank you. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to say I got lucky with the timing because <laughs> it, there's nothing lucky at all. But I filmed it, it was all at the very end of 2019. Um, and, you know, so much of it is me going, I'm feeling old, man. And I got a kid. And how how much time did I spend on the road? Hopefully in a way that wasn't whiny. But yes, yeah, since, since then, three of the venues in the special have shut down. And oh, it's yeah. only made me, you know, Throughout the special, there's all these moments where I'm, I keep finding, like, right, that's why I like doing this. Like, that joke just went so well. And uh, the past year has only reminded me of, like, the value of these places, especially the small places, the not Ticketmaster, not Live Nation. Like like you said, some of them are actual punk and some of them are punk in spirit in the special. But those places and their communities, I'm like, I just, I just want to get back in there and feel that again. So I'm glad that came across. I want to. Uh 
you you mentioned in the special that your brother introduced you to punk rock at a young age. Um, mm-hmm. And I know from my own punk rock teen dumb that there are like a lot of <laughs> accoutrements that come with like the punk rock lifestyle. And that brings me to wanting to talk to you about the most dangerous water park in American history, Action Park. Uh, I saw you in the documentary. Uh, it was HBO, right? I believe it was HBO. HBO Max, Class Action Park. Yes. For people who don't know uh, what Action Park was, it was something you attended as a kid and teenager in New Jersey. Um, can you kind of just tell our audience if they don't know what was Action Park? Sure. Action Park was, I mean, the quickest answer is to say it was a waterside park in uh, Vernon Valley, Great Gorge, New Jersey. But it, it had to have been one of the most dangerous locations in America during its existence. A, a number of people died there. That's not funny, but it did take on like real urban legend status in Jersey in the 80s and 90s. It was kind of a place where you sort of felt like you had to go to prove your toughness. And toughness was such an overvalued thing back then. Like there's such a high priority on being tough if you grew up in North Jersey in the 80s. And um, it was, I guess I would say it was kind of like if you, you know, if you took like any kid's fantasy of if you could design your own water park and there were no rules what would you be it it was the closest anyone's ever come to actually building that and it was it can't be overstated how insane it was like i think the um it's gone viral a few times in the documentary went everywhere i didn't make the documentary i was just interviewed in it but people have stopped me and talked to me about i was once I, i live in new jersey now and i was once walking on a street in the woods and this like Porsche sped by, screeched to a halt, threw it into reverse and packed up. And this guy was like, action park, dude. And I was like, yeah, man. And then he just sped off. And I was like, what's going on? Like, it's, it's a piece, it's a piece of like the mythology of New Jersey in a big way. Um, And I really can see why. It was a very strange blip that I think ties into a lot of the the time and place where I was raised. Can you tell us, like, what were the most dangerous rides there? Like, what are the ones you look back on and we all look back on and say that could never, ever, ever happen again? Well, there's the the one we all knew about as kids, the one everybody talked about. Um, if you watch the Class Action Park documentary, I think they actually did a good job of showing how dangerous all of it was that you don't necessarily get the sense. The one that everyone talked about all the time was the Alpine slide, which these are still around. You'll see them. Um, it was, so it was a ski slope and in Jersey, you know, you can't have snow all four seasons. So the owner said, let's build a water slide park on a section of the ski slope. Keep making money. I think that was the basics of it. And the Alpine slide was this thing where you'd take the uh, ski lift up and they'd give you this sled that was kind of on sort of ice skate blades almost. And they had this stone track that was, uh, ran down the entire side of the mountain. It was kind of like a half pipe shape almost. And it would go around these turns and had this handle. If you push down on it, you'd go faster. If you pulled back, that was the brake. But they never worked. The brakes, it, it was always, it was legendarily like either the brake just never worked or it was stuck in the off position. Someone might slam into you. If you, it, it it was not, like, it, it, it always sounds like you're lying about it, but I can say, like, it was not designed in a, today they would have, like, you know, engineers and maybe even physicists 
sign off on everything. That's not how this place operated. They were sort of some of the OGs and they just built the thing. So there were some curves where if you didn't slow down to a certain speed, you were going off. Like the laws of physics would fling you off of it. And there were people who really took chances with that. And that's how I found out about Action Park. I think it's how a lot of people found out about it because legendarily you'd go there and it was a water slide park primarily. So you'd be in like a bathing suit or shorts and kids would come back to your neighborhood in the summer and they'd have actual like burns and contusions. And after a certain point in childhood, you realized you wouldn't even really need to ask. You'd be like, it wouldn't be like, did you go to action park? It would be like, Oh, when did you go to action park? Like, um, I, I know that for me, I don't, I don't know that this was in the documentary. I remember that the the first, I, I was aware of it, but there was a thing that I found out this is true in a lot of towns. A lot of Catholic churches used to send their altar boys there. It was like a big church trip. What? Yeah. Which is also just like, <laughs> the, the Catholic church has never had the safety and well-being of altar boys no. at the forefront of their minds. It's further proof. And uh, this kid, Kevin, in my neighborhood was an altar boy and he came back one year in a cast on his leg and he had gotten all the altar boys had gotten all messed up on the alpine slide but he had been on a ride that was like a train that transported you from one area of the park to the other and it stopped and caught on fire and he had to jump off of it and he either broke his ankle or severely sprained his ankle and that whole summer he was there and i'd say that just to say like Every kid in every town in North Jersey was having experiences like this, where they were having friends come back limping. They were having friends come back with bruises and broken bones and burns and cuts and stories. And uh, the commercials were everywhere throughout the 80s through the mid-90s. Everyone knew about it. And uh, yeah, it was like it's kind of like going off to a war in a weird way. Not to discount the experience of being a soldier in a war, but for like a you know, nine to 15 year old kid, it was probably analogous in our minds. To it's like, like a rite of passage. Rite of passage, go get your scars, show them off. If you have the chance to go and you bail because you're scared, you will be judged for it. It was that type of thing. Yeah, I saw the the footage of people jumping off that really high. I don't know what it was called, but everyone's just screaming at you like, you're a pussy or, you know, just Tarzan brutal. Tarzan was a thing where you just held onto a, a, a bar and a rope and you'd fly off. People would get messed up there. Everyone else would watch, torment them. There was a cliff jump where they notoriously would not clear out the people underneath you. So you'd just be jumping and there'd be people swimming. It was like a crapshoot if you're going to hit someone. There was a canoe ride where someone was electrocuted. It turned out there was like a live wire under the water. Someone was electrocuted and died. Multiple people drowned in the wave pool. That one is actually probably the most dangerous looking back on it. The Alpine slide was the big legendary one. And I think a, a definitely at least two or three people died on the Alpine slide, but more people died in the wave pool and uh, right on down the list, there was a bunch of them. Well, wave pools still, because I grew up going to a wave pool at uh, Wild Waves was our, you know, has no, it's nowhere near Action Park status. But, you know, there are things 
I don't know if it's still open, but the wave pool was absolutely terrifying. Yeah. And yeah. I, I don't know if people don't know what a wave pool is, but it, it's literally what it sounds like. It's a giant pool that they create large waves and it's just a free for all. There's no limit on the amount of people. There's no, you know, there's like the deep area, but there's no real regulation. And you, you know, you, you're overcome by a wave. You're grabbing a kid you don't know. You're pushing him under trying yes, to keep your yes. head above. And it's just, uh, it is this relic of a really different time. Um, it just would never happen again today. And and before we go talk about sort of the 80s and 90s and all that, I want to know, do you have scars? Did you get hurt? Um, I don't have any physical scars. I definitely just have. emotional. <laughs> I have emotional scars for sure. And I have, um, I, I have this story, again, another one that didn't make the documentary. So if there's actual park fans, here's like a cutting room floor one, which is when I was a kid, the one that scared me the most was this slide. I think it was called Cannonball, uh, if I remember right, where you'd go up to the top and you'd start going down the slide and it would go around a curve and it would look like it was a normal water slide. And what they didn't tell you was that after you went around that curve, you started picking up a lot of speed and then there was just a big hole and you realize, oh, you're entering a tunnel that you couldn't see from the beginning. And if if you did not go check out the end of this slide, which before you got on it at the beginning, what you didn't know and what I did not know as a kid and what most people did not know is that this tunnel act actually ejected you out of the side of the mountain about 10 feet in the air. This is not an exaggeration. You'd go into pitch black darkness. You'd hear screaming in front of you. And then all of a sudden you'd be blinded by light and you'd have no time to even understand. I am like, I think it was about 10 feet up above the surface of the water and you just hit. And I remember being so scared of that one and, and hitting and feeling like I was going to drown and being so shell-shocked and that one being the one that scared me the most as a kid. Now, Action Park briefly reopened under the Action Park name in 2014. It's been open as this place, Mountain Creek, forever, but they really scaled it back. They decided to have a brief stretch where they went and said, let's capitalize on the reputation. We're Action Park again. And I went back for my bachelor party with all my friends. <laughs> and we all thought like, oh, let's go do the cleaned up version. Nope, they still had, they didn't have the Alpine slide, they still had a bunch of the messed up stuff. And that slide, we went on it, and everyone in my bachelor party agreed it was the most fucked up, all of, like all of us old men now we're getting. And I think it was about three or four months after my bachelor party, the state of New Jersey finally stepped in and said, this ride is being shut down because everyone is reporting the same exact type of neck and shoulder injuries. So again, like even, even in what was that 2014 when it reopened and they hadn't fixed it up enough where you're like, even in 2014, again, just to go back before it was a ride that was clearly designed by someone who is not, um, capable of doing this who should not have been certified qualified. yeah not qualified <laughs> to design rides it was it was designed in a way where people were clearly having like the same spinal injuries like over and over and over again so that's the type of thing that the emotional scar where i get to like i'll get a text from a buddy every once in a while who's like do you like it's cold out today and legitimately my fucking shoulder still hurts from your bachelor party like i'll have stuff like that still so this is like, you know, late 90s, but our water park 
was also run by what appeared to be drunk teenagers. And that mm-hmm. sounds like a huge part of Action Park. And one memory I have that just just came to me that I, I feel willed to share was um, I was a very small, little, tiny, skinny little kid. And we had one of the things we had was like a zip line, but you just hold on to it. You know, there's no strap. You're very high above the water. And mm-hmm. I get, you know, they push me off and, you know, you're supposed to go all the way across to the end, but like mine just stops right in the middle and I'm hanging there. And like you said, everybody's just yelling at me like, jump, jump, you know, and I finally just have to let go and fall. And whatever, it was, a, it doesn't matter when you're a kid. That kind of stuff is scary, but it's fun. But even that I could see a part getting in trouble for now, right? Like it's a completely different time world sense even of childhood, even though even though the 80s and 90s were one of our biggest panics about kids being kidnapped or doing drugs or getting their Halloween candy poisoned or clowns pulling them into their cars. You know, you know, there's any any of our moral panics, its heart comes from the 80s. So there's like a weird, a weird push and pull between like the ability for kids to not have cell phones, have no way for their parents to contact them, just was like a totally different uh, experience of what it was like to be a kid compared to now. And you've got a kid now, so it'll be interesting to see. I was just going to say, I think about it a lot because for a few, a lot of things are coming to a head in my life where I've been thinking about all of this stuff a lot. And even as a comedian, I've started like, thinking of a lot of premises that revolve around these exact topics because I have a two-year-old now and the way that I am told to raise him both in the sense of medical doctors what he eats sleeping habits all of it is contradictory to ways we were raised and and, and then when you think about the sort of broad cultural strokes the thing about Action Park and and obviously having the kid moving back to Jersey and reconnecting with a lot of my friends brings a lot about uh, to the surface. Cause a lot of my friends, I sit here and go, I'm a comedian. I exaggerate everything in my own mind. And then I have friends who go, no, it was the way we grew up was scary. There were, there's scars there. There were, and the action park documentary too shined a real spotlight on it. And I think the thing about action park, that's really, um, outside of all the legends and the, how crazy and funny and tragic some of the stories are. The thing that's really profound to me is all that stuff you named, you're going to get kidnapped. I mean, I remember specifically the clown kidnapping rumors being so severe in my hometown. You can look it up. A, a lot of that stuff started in Essex County, New Jersey. My friend Kaylin, I mentioned recommended because she's like, you talk about stuff like this on your show. Um, there's a folklorist, Jan Harold Brunvand, who... We just did a whole... Ep- he's like my hero. He's... Yeah. I yeah, love I him love that. so I've much. I've loved him for years. And he wrote it up that I think a lot of that started, I think, in South Orange, New Jersey. And I remember in fifth grade, police being at my school, Redwood Elementary School, one day, because the rumors about these clowns were hitting such a fever pitch. They sent cops to make sure... I, either that clowns didn't get us or that kids weren't like actually trying to... like hide under the desks and not come out, whichever it was like that stuff was so profound. Satanists are going to get you. You're going to get kidnapped. You're going to get molested. You're going to get sold into a ring. Look at this milk carton. That could be you. You're going to start your morning every day eating cereal, staring into the eyes of a kid. That could be you. And yet everything that they told us was aimed at scaring us 
into like submission and control. Like if anybody ever gives you a Mickey Mouse sticker, it's LSD. We got to check all your Halloween candy. Everything was like, we are going to scare you into control. And yet the words of the gener, the, the actions of the generation that raised us just sent us to action park for the day and said, all right, meet us back at the entrance at closing time. It's really, really contradictory. That's one of the things that has really messed my head up. And a lot of my friends from when I talked to, I think a lot of it revolves around that of you sort of look at the generation that raised us. You go, all you guys did was try to scare us all the time. And yet a lot of the actual choices you made probably put us in more harm's way than any of the bullshit you were scaring us about. It really, I think, messed with a lot of people of my generation. It really did. I think what you're talking about, too, is like the the anatomy of a moral panic, which is you point out a danger that is easier, simpler outside of your family. Like, for example, you know, we talk about the satanic panic so much and the stranger danger molester panic, right, where it's like very, 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 very few kids are actually kidnapped by strangers ever. And yet the real problems exist in your home. And so you create this folk devil over here so you don't have to address like the really hard, complicated things about the way you're raising kids, the dangers they're really in, which are not phantom clowns. There is the sense of, um, I, I call it like a sleight of hand. So we're creating these sites of hand out of our psychology to try to minimize our own anxiety about these things we can't control, right? So it's like, oh, we can control these clowns. We can find them. We can arrest them. And and it just all kind of came out of um, the, 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 the liberal 70s into the Reagan years where we're trying to control kids and push them back into this nuclear, I say nuclear and everybody hates me, <laughs> nuclear family, um, you know, structure. So there's like so many ways that these things were also assimilating us into this new kind of fundamentalist revival. It's this weird thing, right? Where it's like, it's like authorities and and like the moral authority and the Reaganites, they wanted it to be the 50s, which it was never going to be again. So, But then they tried to make you think you were living in this horror movie version of the 50s where there were, you, you know, like voodoo priests crouching behind every white picket fence in this version of the 50s. Meanwhile, what's really going on is that they had messed with the working class so bad that it's like, hey, well, your dad has to leave the house at six and he's not going to get home till eight. So I guess your uncle Tommy's going to have to take you to Auction Park. Yeah. But he's a drinker and we just kind of got to be okay and pray that he doesn't get too drunk at the bar and he doesn't and he doesn't let you run too wild, which he will. But we can't really yell at him because we also can't afford childcare, and we don't even want to send you to the childcare because we've heard because that, they're satanic. We heard that cults. they're satanists too, <laughs> who are going to lock you all up and have sex with you when you're four. So we'll, I guess we just won't deal with Uncle Tommy's alcoholism or the fact that uh, he's letting you drink. Yeah, <laughs> yeah at yeah. Action Park when you're yeah. nine. Yeah. It's wild, and it's funny. I, I wonder if you know. Do you know about? Because you and I could talk forever, clearly, but. For some reason, Jersey's always been a hotbed of um, like local legends and, and urban legends. And I, I worked in a magazine called Weird New Jersey that I bet a lot of your listeners, if they're familiar with Jersey, oh, probably yeah. some crossover fans there. But do you know about the Tommy Sullivan killing? No. This was in Jefferson, New Jersey. This was one of the satanic panic killings. And it's one of the ones, like you said, there's so few that have any... Um, are rooted in reality at all. 
But this is one, if I remember right, and this is also something too that I'll list the bullet points and I bet anyone who's familiar with the case will immediately go, well, actually, if you read into that for more than 10 minutes, here's what actually happened. But the bullet points were, I think it was this kid who had to give um, a book report and some kids in his class were kind of like screwing around. And if I remember right, they gave a book report on the satanic Bible and they got in trouble, but this kid became obsessed with it and he wound up uh, killing his parents with a knife and then I think maybe killing himself. Um, and it was like one of the satanic panic cases that people pointed to and went, see, it's real. And it's like, well, actually probably what happened was this kid, there's probably all sorts of underlying shit we never heard about. But the one of the really interesting things is that town, not too far from Action Park. They're kind of in the same vaguely remote area of northern New Jersey. You will point to that kid as a reason why I should have like nervous diarrhea for my entire childhood, which I did, where anytime I was scared, I thought I was going to, I literally spent half my childhood scared on the verge of shitting my pants because I was scared of everything all the time. You're going to point to that kid and then you're going to let me go to this place where someone drowned in a wave pool eight months ago and we're not even going to kind of, kind of not going to ever even mention that. Like this is, there's like some false pretenses to the way I am being raised. And obviously when you're a kid, you don't phrase it that way. But now I'm a dad back in the same area and I'm going, there's a lot of things about my parents. And my parents, first of all, are amazing people. Amazing people. In regards to their generation, a lot of things that I really respect and values I hope to take and a lot of stuff that I hope to step back and go, whoa, I hope that my son doesn't feel like I am like scaring him into submission, which I felt like I was so many times just so scared and then when you had actual problems you just be constantly told ah, go be tough figure it out tough it out go out and f figure it out yourself You're like which is it which is it that you want to protect me at all costs or that if i'm getting bullied i should just swing back and man up man up yeah. you hit them once they'll never come back it's like well i've tried that they came back with two friends so now do i hit those two people and they come back with four more friends like is that this ain't working. This ain't working. I think the other part of all this, too, that has been very illuminating to me is the creation of the teenager, because that's a really uh. new creation. And it really only started in the 20s, but barely. And it wasn't until the 50s, post-war, when we had suburbia, we had like a new post-war affluence. and Car we, culture. It's exactly, yeah, car culture is huge. And it created um, basically this new generation to market to, right? And, and also the child labor laws. That was the big thing is suddenly, I mean, kids were just like, you were born and you put on a fucking work hat and you go to the factory, you know, and you're six years old and covered in dirt and you know so we think of that right so like each generation is getting a little better um in terms of taking care of children but it's also getting more and more and more precious which also has a very interesting history of of the like psychic mm. idea of the preciousness of our children and that's really cool but i think something i i liked too in your stand-up special was uh i i'm going to make you talk about Gatorland. i'm oh, sure yes. you knew that was coming oh, yes. um which is uh, as you mentioned an, a, a park near disney world in orlando that's very very 
different and feels kind of like a last vestige of like a punk amusement. And I think comparing that to Disney World is something I would love to talk about because I think you call Disneyland either fake or or whatever. And then you called Gatorland kind of real. And those two, um, the way that those two things uh, fight against each other in our culture. Yes. I'm as we I'm laughing because as as you and I feel each other out, I'm not shocked to hear that you yeah like there's a whole legacy of like it's it's a thing i want to ask you about actually it ties into before i answer it i just want this on record i don't know if this will be a tangent we go into now or we can come back to it but because you and i are clearly sharing a very similar feeling of like the 50s were this time we all pretend was lighter than it was yes. and then the reagan generation like romanticized that but made it this dark creeping like tumbleweeds blowing down the streets of the corrupted 50s vision Mm -hmm. it sounds like you and i were raised in similar times by by a similar sort of looming shadow of that and yet you and i before the show talked about like our shared love of like roadside attractions and now we're talking about gatorland which is us in our generation reacting to that, playing the game of ping pong, and that's me romanticizing car culture and the 50s and Americana, even though I feel like it was manipulated into an issue in how I was raised. So we're doing it too. And Gatorland Absolutely. ties into that, right? Like, it does, yeah. I love Route 66. I love the kind of beating, the, the parts of it that are still clinging to life. I think Gatorland, for anybody who ties into that, um, Gatorland is not on Route 66, but a big example of that idea of like, you used to be able to just like have a dream and go for it in a small way and you could carve it out. And, you know, I think the real root of that joke is that Disney World, which I also love. I've brought my son yeah, there. we love Disney World. Disney World's amazing. Love that American hysteria. Love it. Love Disney World. I'm sure so much for you to talk about the dark underbelly of that as well. We have a Disneyfication episode. I'm You'll have to listen to it. I, I can't wait. Can't wait to go back. Um, but yeah, Disney World is just this thing that has mirrored like the increasing corporate safety uh, you know, merging of brands. There's now the Pixar section, the whole Star Wars world, and they own Marvel too. You just go, oh, that's one history of America. And then right down the road, a few miles away, you got Gatorland, which is just, since it's been around, the premise of Gatorland has basically been like, Gators, fuck yeah. Like that's kind of what the whole park comes down to is like, you want to come check out some Gators? Check out some Gators. And um they still have a gator wrestling show, which I don't love. I'll put the screws to them on that. They also do rescue a lot of animals that would otherwise be euthanized and things like that. And I do love that. And they're good people there. And uh, But the joke, yeah, basically comes down to like, here's a bunch of real world examples of how Disney World operates, very by the book. And here's Gatorland. And Gatorland to me still feels a little bit like this miracle of, it's not Action Park. I mean, they're not letting you Action Park would have let you like go and hold open the jaws of a gator yourself and just see if you get eaten or not. Put your hat in. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> they they would have done that if they could have made money off of it. But there's still these little places hanging on. Like I think a Gatorland, I think further south in Orlando, there's the Coral Castle, which is another, like it's this weird castle, this guy built in the middle of the night and no one knows how he did it. And um, there's this, all these little examples, like some of them for money, some are not. Like in Oklahoma, along Route 66, there's this thing called the Blue Whale of Catoosa that I'm kind of obsessed with. 
which is this guy who built like a giant paper mache whale for his kids to play on and slide off the tail into a lake and then started charging money for it and it became a roadside attraction and now the town kind of maintains it just because so you're like in the middle of nowhere in Oklahoma and it's not like a thing you can play on or pay for anymore but you're like yeah there's the big blue whale and I find it magical and there's examples of it like all over that just dot the landscape but there's something alive that hasn't been totally commodified yet or corporatized yet Gatorland's one of them wall drug I've never been to wall drug I've always wanted to go to wall drug I've never, it's in the Dakotas, right? There's, South there's Dakota. five, yeah, there's five states I have yet to go to. And uh, that will be when I make it through the Dakotas. It's one of the main places I want to go. South Dakota is like one of the best roadside attraction places because you can also go to, uh, uh, oh my God, I forgot the name of the President Rock. What's it called? Oh, um, Rushmore, Mount Rushmore. Yeah, I'm glad the I President forgot that. Rock. President Rock. You can go there and you can just, I mean, that alone is like, feels sort of like a horror movie you know just sort of that like really unnerving patriotism that you see sometimes and then you can leave that which almost feels like the disney world and and it's really uncomfortable and propagandic which i don't know if it's a word but i'm trying to get it going um and then you can go to wall drug which does feel like i i'm i'm thinking of the way your tour worked right where you're going to these small punk venues which feels the same as going to these roadside attractions that are like you know that are dirty and imperfect and dangerous sometimes whatever that means now and then you know you can hop over to disney world and get this experience that is fantastic but it's it doesn't have the same like i mean you i don't think anybody can say that chosen danger doesn't have an allure right because there's danger mm-hmm. and then there's danger you choose and um choosing danger you know is, is a lot i've been reading so much for this other project about rites of passage and i'm so interested in that and how you there are these moments in your life that are necessary to put yourself through danger like or like legend tripping is so cool and i don't know if you've ever read specifically about legend tripping but we did an urban legends like big season finale and that's why i was reading you know a lot of yon's work and um but legend tripping is where you fulfill an urban legend as a rite of passage right so like oh. you go you go to bunny man bridge for me it was you go to the step like you find the, the hidden graveyard and go down the steps to hell right and it's like this Wait, contained- are you from northern virginia at the bunny man bridge no but my mom was a bunny man she she actually recalls her experience she was there in the early 70s right when it peaked and we actually did a whole deep dive to figure out why the bunny man legend came and i'm sure you remember it not only do i remember it I co-wrote the book Weird U.S., and if anybody out there says, oh, I, I read about it in that book, there's a picture, I believe in that book, of a guy in a pink bunny suit holding an axe that's like their visual representation, and that is me. That's, that's you? I'm in the bunny suit, if you've read about If you read about that I feel like Weird I'm US, like in, an, in the presence of a different uh, kind of celebrity now. Oh, no, just a kindred spirit. Yeah, legend tripping. I mean, Weird New Jersey, the magazine I wrote for, was... I think a huge celebration of that and it started in the mid nineties. And I mean, in Jersey, it's Clinton road, it's the devil's tree, the devil's tower. It's going into abandoned mental hospitals. It's the gates of hell. And Jersey's such a compact, densely, uh, like densely populated state that it's, it's a mass, again, these rites of passage. And I think when you know that about New Jersey action park, it also makes a lot more sense because that, I mean, for me, Monk's Castle was right next door to where I grew up, all sorts of stuff. So 
yeah, the Bunny Man Bridge, I wrote extensively about like, um, and I wonder if you were about to say the same thing I was, which I wrote about all. I mean, some of my favorite, the Bunny Man Bridge is right up there with me. the Melon Heads of Ohio. That's another one that like, I love it. The Bunny Man Bridge is because they all come from somewhere, right? Either it could be as simple as this is kind of a creepy location. So let's say a girl got hit walking home from prom night and now there's a ghost in a white dress. There's white dress girl ghosts all over, everywhere. That probably comes down to like, you. this road is creepy and let's envision some blonde girl getting killed because the 50s are dead. Like it comes back to what we were saying before, right? And then there's kernels of truth beyond that and all, and the Bunny Man Bridge in, in Virginia in all the things I ever wrote about, the thing that shocked me was it was the most ridiculous urban legend or local legend. Urban legends are slightly different if you talk to Jan, Harold Brunvald or Brunvan, whichever his name is. But as far as local legends go, it was the most ridiculous one that had the most elements of fact within it, which blew my mind. Do you remember the name of the archivist? Did you read his whole project on the Bunny Man? I, I'm, I bet did. you did. I feel like... When I discovered that, um, it blew my mind because I feel like we're referring to the same thing, which is that that one guy basically went back article by article. And, and if I remember right, it was like, oh, this was like farmlands and they started building condos. Yes. And some dude who didn't like it actually walked around in a bon- bunny suit, like messing with people who were parking back there and making out, which I go, the bunny man is as ridiculous as almost any other super specific legend that you hear. And it, there actually was some guy who did. And that, that kernel of truth is a way more on target kernel of truth than you'll find with almost any other of these legends. It's, it's, it's one of my favorite ones, that bunny man. You ever notice how finding time and energy to do the most basic human necessity, eat literal food, has become just another exhausting task jammed into our increasingly inhuman schedules? Well, your spring can be a little more stress-free with Factor. Factor will provide you with delicious, never-frozen, ready-to-eat, gourmet meals that are chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready-to-eat in just two minutes. Each week, you get to choose from a menu of 35 options to create your perfect breakfast, lunch, or dinner with absolutely no prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. And Factor makes sure you get exactly what you want. You can tailor deliveries to your schedule and customize how many meals you want each and every week, and you can pause anytime. So just head to factormeals.com slash American Hysteria 50 and use code American and Hysteria 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code American Hysteria 50 at factormeals.com slash American Hysteria 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Check out Factor today. Friends, hello. I'm Mike Regnetta, the host of Never Post, a new and independent news podcast about and for the internet. In addition to bringing you the latest in current events, we try to figure out why the internet and the world because of the internet is the way it is. 
How did influencers destroy tween fashion? What is posting disease and how do you ensure you don't catch it? From what device must one send important emails? We talk about what's going on online and ask together why. Why are we like this? Find Never Post wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, it was definitely a huge part of my childhood because one of the reasons I love urban legends and abandoned places is, you know, my mom grew up in England. So she was like going down chimneys of like these terrifying (laughs) old buildings that we can't possibly imagine how cool they are. Um, So she told me about the bunny man a lot, thinking it was true, you know, like suspending the disbelief type of thing. So I knew the bunny man really well, and I didn't ever do a deep dive until just recently. And it was I looked up his name just because I want to give him credit. It's Brian A. Conley. And he um, we talked all about his work that that thing you bring up of of we didn't go too far into it because it's a, like its own episode but the condos coming in the rural area being disturbed by sort of new middle class people who don't understand what's happening in the culture you know they're making out they're doing these things that are probably considered unsavory in this small town and interestingly one of the cases um the boyfriend said that the man was in the bunny suit but the girlfriend said it looked more like a hood like a clan hood and that has always been really interesting i don't necessarily like buy into that being true um but you know there's just it's a really interesting story sociologically beyond just like oh there was a guy in a bunny suit running around you know there was a guy in a bunny suit chopping at the the condo that was one like they were building the condos and he was like get out of my town or whatever just chopping this this thing and uh you know that that for me is and i mean for jan bruvand i don't know i've tried really hard to figure out the correct pronunciation i like wrote to a folklore student and was like can you please tell me how to pronounce this I think, you know, that's a lot of what we do on the show is like, what are the political, social, you know, emotional moments that are leading to these panics, urban legends, conspiracy theories, whatever. And that's so much more interesting to me than even like just the legend itself. It's it's uh, again, I was just told about your show and I I feel so bad right now because I'm rehashing stuff you've heard and it's clear to me I am currently on what will soon be my favorite podcast because I was just told to watch it like I'm not kidding three weeks ago or listen to it three weeks ago but exactly what you're saying makes sense to me and it it ties in so much to what you were saying before about these like cultural loops of like 50s to 80s well there's also the thing you just mentioned which is like condos being built in a farmland there's an old culture that has its own ways, and now this new culture is storming it. And I found when I worked at Weird New Jersey and Weird US and wrote Weird New York, so often what you would find is that a lot of those urban legends, when you research them, a lot of the ones that those local legends get really fervent around are areas that shifted quickly from rural to suburban or who live right on the edge that's still rural where the suburbs have gotten really close. I always felt like when you have one culture come in that is the more cookie cutter suburban culture, especially teens with cars and they just kind of drop out of the sky and land in an area that's already gotten, that's already had its culture, its traditions, its stories, the people who know each other it's where a lot of the best local legends come up. It's it's why I, I think a lot of local legends, you'll see a lot of times train tracks are involved. 
Why? Well, first of all, train tracks, there's a mythology to them, right? There's Americana. It's this whole hidden culture. Like, if you don't work on the rails, you don't really know how the rails work. But also, those things got laid down in the middle of something else. And they exist there now. And they're disrupting that old thing. Um, So, yeah, it makes sense that maybe a ghost story that these farmers used to tell, now it's attached to these train tracks. And then the suburbanites who know where the train tracks are have a place to go. Like, in Jersey, same thing. There's, There's... so many things that get torn down and put up over and over again and so many towns where even right now where you can go like my brother lives in a town or my brother-in-law rather lives in a town where um it is just split level houses and my wife ran into somebody who grew up there who went yeah i grew up there 25 years ago it was mostly farms and you go yep that's how you get all these local legends and things that kids scare themselves with because yeah there's this leftover relic from a thing and it's sitting there and it doesn't make sense in this new context and we got to make sense of it um how do we make sense of it let's make up a story and scare the shit out of ourselves with it and then some of those stand the test of time right and the bunny man's a great example all came down to condos it all came down to a guy was pissed about condos well we're not going to apologize for the condos, so let's turn that guy into a phantom in our minds, right? One that you would love. Weird New Jersey, one of the stories, Clinton Road, if you look it up, most haunted road in New Jersey. We did an entire issue just about this one road in New Jersey. This place has it all. There's a reservoir where there's a bridge over it, and if you throw a coin, a ghost boy gives it back to you. There's Satanists. There's an old abandoned castle in the woods. There's... uh Everything, everything, you know, like you'll go up there, you'll find animal bones and everything, all Wiccans, witches, like you don't call them Wiccans in the local legend. They're witches. It's a coven of witches. You hear stories about everything that happened on this one road in New Jersey, this one 10 mile road in West Milford, New Jersey. And you sit there, you think about why, why does this one road um, get all this stuff? And I sit and I think about it. And I worked there for so many years, and I'm a nerd, so I still obsess over it. And I go, I bet that if I was a smarter person, I I got an American Studies degree, which is actually I've kind of used it in some ways. But if I was smart enough to go get like an anthropology or sociology degree and actually study this stuff, I'd go, Clinton Road is 10 miles of desolate road alongside a reservoir that you could probably still commute to New York City from if you lived there and you really wanted to give yourself a hellish commute. It's that close, let alone close to all the more suburban, urban areas in New Jersey on the way. It's like, I bet Clinton Road is not much further than, I bet it's within 30 miles of New York City easily. And yet it's this super desolate road. That's what does it, right, is... When you have cultures of people that live so close together that do not really share much culturally, except the fact that they're eating at the same fast food restaurants and they have to go to the same DMV to get their licenses renewed. Well, if you don't really make an effort to understand one another or to integrate those cultures, and instead it's just going to be, you know, that family farm that's been in that family for four generations, it's gone now. And so now here's another, you know, mini mall with a Starbucks and a Panera bread and this and that. There's no, that's not, you're not integrating those cultures. One is smashing the other. And then the vestiges of the old one 
I think is where a lot of ghost stories come from, in my opinion. There's like the line, right, where things happen. It feels like like the two cultures meet and then there's a line drawn. And I think a lot of what I've found with urban legends is sort of about the suburban and the the rural or like anything that's like wild, like like things that are non civilized right in this very particular often you know kind of like elitist way um and there's a lot that can happen in that in that like the way they rub each other wrong and there's a lot of like you know they say the jungle creeping into the suburbs and and that can be so many different things we see that with like the idea of urban um kind of coming into the suburban or the rural coming into the suburban and you know because you can't really say that moral panics don't have their heart in suburbia right it does really seem like all of them come out of suburbia and all of them come out of like this surplus of safety i think where you can entertain the danger because your danger isn't real so it is this strange like like the bunny man you can entertain this danger and have fun with it without realizing that the danger is more like what you're doing not necessarily i mean you're a kid but what the culture is doing to um less privileged cultures of of all kinds do you know and and we're going to get into something a little touchy here and i want to speak very very respectfully because i am I, i worked at weird new jersey magazine and and I'm about to speak about a group of people who I think very rightfully are are not fans. Do you know about the Ramapo Mountain Indians in New Jersey? Mm-mm. Ramapo Mountain people, they're sometimes called. It's exactly what you're talking about. There's an area of New Jersey, I mentioned West Milford, but more Mawa, Ringwood, and then an area in New York called Hilburn. And these are very mountainous regions, the Ramapo Mountains. And... If you were to look at those towns, Hilburn, Mawa, Ringwood, you'd be like, they're close together, but you'd be surprised to hear, wait, there are people who have lived on top of these mountains, and historically, they can trace them back into the late 1700s, early 1800s. And there's always been people living up there. Now, there's a name for them that is regarded as racist, and it is a very, very legendary name in their area, and... In the mid-90s, Weird New Jersey wrote an article, and, and that was the name because that was the local legend. I think now it's more enlightened times, but I think I've always, you know, I worked there, and I'm not sitting here making caveats. I worked there after the article came out. I always went, ah, we would have done better. We would have we done a little better by that if we understood that really what's going on is there's these people up there, and there's all this debate. Are they Native Americans were there runaway slaves that wound up on the mountain and, and mixed together and all these legends. Is this the Melungeons? It is the North Jersey version of the Melungeons. The Melungeons are in the Carolinas. Very similar thing. They call it a tri-racial isolate is what the two groups share. They call them a mixture of different races that have come together in a remote area and sort of uh, through the generations, you go, these people don't, match the total traditional of what a native american looks like or what an african american looks like like and and now imagine that the melungeons my understanding is it's still pretty remote but in north jersey these are in towns that were remote mountaintops where these mountain people dwelled and you always heard about them and don't go up there and mess with them they'll kill you and they'll all these stories they'll kidnap you they'll take your baby take your baby they'll eat you you won't come back and there's all these people up there who are mutated because of inbreeding and this and that. And here's what's really happened is that those used to be isolated mountains and now there are suburbs halfway up that mountain. 
And those people have just always been the ones who get the shit end of the stick. So you make up scary stories to make them demons so you don't have to reconcile with the fact that it went from let them go live on that shitty mountain and deal with whatever comes their way to nope, now we want to come closer and closer and more and more and more. And you're the scary ones. I look back at it and I go, man, if I if I knew what I knew now and if I had read as much as I had, it's really disturbing that those stories seemed... That is not a story that's in the same realm as a girl in a white dress got hit by a car. They're two different things, you know? One is about a scary road. Another is people who have hard lives get demonized to justify how we keep encroaching and taking more. You know, there's actually, there's a, there's a documentary on HBO. I think you can still watch it on, on demand. It's called Man vs. Ford. It's all about this group of people and their area and how there was a Ford manufacturing plant that just dumped insane amounts of toxic waste on their land that they live off of. And now the animals there are poison, the water's poison. And man is one of the family names amongst the, uh, the Ramapo. And I sit there, I go, these people have just consistently taken it on the chin. The state of New Jersey, um, or the federal government, I think, won't let them be certified as a tribe, even though they've lived up there. It's like no matter what mix of people, there's people documented living up here since the 1700s. Well, why? Because Atlantic City has casinos. And it was actually Donald Trump was a lot of why. He's like, I don't want people who can build a casino in North Jersey. No one's going to drive three hours to Atlantic City. if they. If they it's like... These urban legends exist. You realize some urban legends exist because, hey, that's a pretty creepy road and it's in Totowa, New Jersey. So let's say a girl named Annie got killed there. And then some urban legends exist because those people have always had it hard and we want to make it seem like they're scary to justify it. I always come back to what I think is like the original American urban legend, which is Puritans, pilgrims come over, colonizers come over and their interactions with indigenous people of all different tribes is you're satanic. You're satanic and you're stealing my children. That was the most popular tall tale was satanic agents of darkness stealing children. And of course, as we know, the majority of children that were stolen were indigenous children eventually stolen and oftentimes by the church even like within the past two days in canada it's like oh a a catholic they just found 200 indigenous bodies so it's not that satan is stealing our children it's actually that our church is stealing yours is what was actually going on you have a group of people who are being marginalized in some way and then they are almost always turned into some kind of villain because when someone is a villain you have the right to defend yourself you have the right to do these things so like you'll see like most of the things we do in terms of conspiracy theories or anytime we want to take something you know anytime you want to do something to gain something you're going to have to in order to psychologically even do that make that person bad in your mind right, right. it's like in war you dehumanize the other side i mean we do that in our politics now we've completely dehumanized each other so that we can um do the things that we want to do that we wouldn't be able to do if we saw that person as an equal or even somebody with empathy and feelings i mean if you have if you're up against an army of satanic 
child eaters. Who's going to argue if you really believe that? If, if <laughs> QAnon really believes people who are involved in that, that they're that Tom Hanks is running a sex trafficking ring and you believe that with all your heart, like that sets you up to to do a lot of really bad things. Oh, because, they think I am a part of it. Do they? Now that's what I call a cliffhanger. This was American Hysteria. Join us next week for part two, and make sure you check out Chris's new stand-up special, Half My Life, his podcast, Beautiful Stories from Anonymous People, as well as the documentary, Class Action Park. You can also consider becoming a patron for our show and get access to my other patrons-only podcast called Walk With Me, where I basically have the same conversation I had with Chris alone with myself, exploring various locations, abandoned areas, haunted roads, the woods, and my own small town. You'll get a lot of highly personal stories and all the metaphysical questions I can pump at you in an hour. Just head to the link in our show notes or go to patreon.com slash American Hysteria. You can follow us on Instagram at American Hysteria Podcast and on Twitter at Amer Hysteria. This episode has sound by Clear Camo Studios and editing by Miranda Zickler. Thanks, as always, for listening and make sure you come back next week for part two. I know you will. And until then, have a great week.